Hey there, welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations on food and farming. I'm Katie Federal with the Sustainable Farming Association. Today we're discussing the Minnesota Agricultural Water Quality Certification Program, which is a voluntary opportunity for farmers to get assistance and recognition for implementing water protecting conservation practices. One of our guests is Mark Lefebvre. Mark is a conservation planner with Stearns County Soil Water Conservation District. He works with farmers and landowners to develop plans to address resource concerns affecting soil water quality and quantity using the certification program. Our farmer guests, Jen and Jerry Lahr, are recently ag water quality certified through the program. They grow corn, soy, and custom-raised dairy replacement heifers at Lahr Heritage Farms in Cold Spring, Minnesota. Jen is also the Senior Director of Commercialization at the Agricultural Utilization Research Institute. They'll give us an overview of the program, share their firsthand experience, and talk about the changes that they've seen on their farm. Larry, Jennifer, and Mark, thank you so much for taking some time to to chat with me today and share a bit about this exciting opportunity in the program with us. You're welcome. Sure. Glad to be with you. Thanks. Well, Mark, why don't you give us um, an overview of the Water Quality Certification Program? So the the program started back in 2014, um, and we were part of the pilot. Um, Basically, we're a local partner with the Minnesota Department of Ag. That's the the main agency behind it. And uh, we helped to kind of um, formulate the assessment process and the sign up and how to contact farmers. Um, And it it went so well that... um, and within two years, the program went statewide. So what it does is um, it's a good tool to have a whole farm assessment done on, on the farm. Primarily looks at the crop land and it's based on the assessment on a, a like a runoff risk model. So it looks at the field, physical characteristics, slope, um, soils, those kinds of things. And then looks at tillage. Um, how intense the tillage is, um, nutrient management, phosphorus and nitrogen, particularly uh, what the farm's doing for pest management. And then if there's any um, tile drainage or irrigation can adjust the the score up or down. And then if there's any conservation practices associated with the field that can adjust the score up or down. So to be certified, you need an eight and a half score on all your fields and all your crops. So it's if a corn soybean rotation, it would be the corn crop and the soybean crop are assessed. So two assessments per field. If it's, you know, hay in the rotation, you basically need to do all the crops. Um, and then it, all fields and all crops have to meet that eight and a half threshold. Um, so what the, the farmer gets is, like you said, it's um, they get recognition. And that's probably the main reason that most farmers enroll in it. Um, it's just saying that they're doing everything they can for water quality. And it's, it's a good way to be proactive to show that farms are not just out, you know, doing a lot of polluting. Um, so it's, it's a good thing for that. They get a sign and actually in, in this area, in Stearns County, um, they get a 12 pack of beer from third street brewery as a kind of a bonus and, and a good way to, help us, you know, from the SWCD build relationships. Um, The other thing they get is um, regulatory certainty for 10 years. Um, So they're deemed in compliance with if any new 
water quality regulation comes into play within their 10 year certification period. And they also would get um, some financial assistance uh, up to $5,000 per year to help implement practices that would improve their scores or help get them certified. Right on. And from the the scoring system that you described just briefly there, it sounds like it's not the the program is not a certain set of practices that every farm will look uniform. Like it allows for changing contexts and different practices to be applied depending on what they're working with on the land. Yes, that's that's right. And the thing that I like about it is it really it's fairly simplified and you can have a good discussion with farmers to see where they can make improvements. I would say one of the things that holds um, a fair number of farms back in, in our county is um, tillage. Um, if we just discuss options to maybe cut some tillage out, some passes um, to help reduce soil loss, um, that's a, a good conversation to have. And everything's voluntary. Um, we make suggestions, present options, um, maybe implement cover crops. I know that's a popular one lately. Um, you know, put in buffer strips. We want to address any areas that may be prone to erosion. You know, if there's any gullies in the field, you know, we want to discuss, you know, correcting that with grass waterways or what have you. Uh, Jennifer and Larry, would you tell us about your farm and farm experiences? Certainly. Um, so the farm that um, our family is on uh, was uh, first in my uh, family uh, back in the 1950s, my grandfather bought the farm um, for the sake of uh, providing a farm for my parents. Uh, we had dairy on this farm um, until 1987. And uh, first of all, we're located um, north of the Minneapolis-St. Paul Metro, um, uh, outside of a city of about 4,000 in population. We're about a few miles out of town. And um, luckily, the county we're in, I I consider myself lucky, at least we've got a very diverse egg um, enterprise in Stearns County. A lot of dairy, a uh, good variety of crops that are grown here, not just your you know, traditional corn and soybeans, but a lot of alfalfa, um, a lot of other uh, crops uh, related to forages for livestock are grown here. And so um, as my parents uh, discontinued dairy farming, we kind of fell into uh, a very traditional mode of crop farming. Um, for uh, really decades following. And so um, in the late 90s, uh, four of us, eight siblings in my family formed a farm partnership um, almost entirely for the sake of uh, trying to keep the farm in the family and try to keep the farm um, small and so forth. And so uh, there were four partners in Lar Heritage Acres initially. Um, two of my oldest siblings retired out of the operation um, about six years ago now, seven years. And so it's just my brother Randy and I that um, are the partners now in Lar Heritage Acres. And so um, that operation is strictly crop production. And then in addition to that, Jen and I operate the livestock entity essentially. So when we're, we've been talking uh, with Mark and his staff, talking about equip and so forth, um, there's generally two the, the two entities at play then. So uh, Jen and I as sole proprietors, and then also Lar Heritage Acres. Um, and so uh, we're still small farmers by today's standards, I would say. Lar Heritage Acres has uh, 430 acres that they operate, uh, 50 of which are irrigated. The rest is all dry land. And then Jen and I, in addition to the livestock, have uh, just 45 acres of tillable um, 
land that we operate, uh, 35 of which is irrigated. So um, very small farm uh, by today's standard, um, but it uh, provides a living for Jen and I. My brother uh, does uh, live off the farm and work off the farm, um, but um, it does uh, help sustain our two families and my brother and I and our families. And I, I guess I would add, um, you know, growing up on a, a dairy farm, uh, just about a half hour south um, near Litchfield, uh, it's been a really great way for me to remain involved with my family's operation. Um, over the years, my family's dairy farm has grown um, and expanded, and they've opted to specialize in in milking uh, the cows and doing uh, some of the breeding of the uh, lactating animals on their operation. We've been able to partner with them by raising their dairy heifers. So it's been a nice way to um, maintain um, some uh, connections to the farm I grew up on and helping helping them out and also um, providing for a great way to uh, raise our family and make sure that my kids have, um, have exposure to uh, the, the same, very same animals that I grew up with and also, uh, working with another farm, uh, nearby to, to raise their farm, their dairy heifers as well. So, um, for a while there, we only had Jersey heifers and now we have, uh, both Jersey and Holstein, uh, heifers on our operation. And Mark, I understand you have some farming experience as well. Do you want to share a bit about that and then tell us what you do as a conservation planner? Sure. I, I grew up on a, a dairy farm um, in Otsego, and after college, I, I went back to the farm with, and farmed with my dad and brother until 1999, so that was almost 20 years. Um, we had some uh, conflict, I guess. You don't need to put this in the recording if you don't want to. Okay. <laughs> uh, we, we were intending to expand the dairy, but... Um, weren't allowed to, I guess, by some uh, local opposition is what it came down to. Um, so we decided to sell the farm and then my brother and I um, got jobs. So I, I, after we sold the farm in 99, I uh, worked for a seed company for a while, um, a, a co-op. Um, I was agronomist, sales agronomist for them for a while. And then started with the SWCD in 2005. And I've been a conservation planner, nutrient management specialist um, with the Stearns SWCD um, for the past 16 years, I guess. So Larry and Jen, what made you interested initially in the Ag Water Quality Program and how did you get connected with Mark? Well, um, I guess the first thing I should say, compliments to uh, the state of Minnesota and, and uh, staff like Mark. There was a tremendous campaign for this program when it was first was launched. We were hearing about it well before I think it was even um, officially established uh, in the different farm trade publications and so forth. Um, we were hearing of this program getting developed. And so, you know, I, I would say by the time it was officially established, we were well aware of, of what it was and the benefits it could provide to um, the state of Minnesota and then also to us as producers. So. Um, I think it was shortly after the program was launched, we were in at our local uh, office, uh, officially threw our name into the, to the hat uh, as an interested party. Um, it did take some time uh, to kind of work our way through the queue in that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, we've always, I think on this operation, 
um, had uh, an eye to what we can do in terms of um, better practices. Um, but uh, I mean, the realities of farming are that margins are extremely tight, especially for our operation, our size. Uh, every dollar truly matters. Uh, time is just as scarce as what money is in most cases for an operation our size. Um, and so really, um, in many cases, you know, it's, it's valuable to us to have uh, that local interface for uh, learning these programs or knowing that our interface would be our local office, literally, you know, 15 miles from our farm. That would be administrating the program in our case and going through the certification process. So um, a lot of comfort coming from that and having worked with some of those same folks on other programs in the past. So um, with um, probably over consideration at times, uh, fairly easy for us to, to make the decision to start the process um, some years back. And I think I would just add, um, yeah, I would agree with Larry that um, it was very a very well-known program to us um, just based on the outreach and promotion of the program. But I think it speaks very well to, to Minnesota. Um, it's hard to find a Minnesotan that's not proud of, you know, the fact that we've got so many um, wonderful lakes in our, in our region and we're the source, uh, the starting point for the Mississippi River. And so um, we have a lot of pride for our, our natural resources in the state and, and we have a lot of pride for our operations. So when you can uh, do something that uh, melds both worlds and has a commitment from our operation to the sustainability of the land that we are stewarding as well as pro, you know, promoting um, and, and protecting a valuable resource for our state seems like a no-brainer. And how was, uh, what did the process kind of look like for you? Like you could share a bit about the time frame, um, any steps involved, kind of walk us through. Certainly. Um, so I guess the main point, it was, it was incredibly simple and uh, really seamless from our standpoint as producers. Uh, Mark and his staff really did all the, the legwork for us. So um, yeah, I, I mean, I know there are certainly steps to getting qual or certified and so forth, but uh, that labor responsibility was not on our backs at all the way it seemed. There was some information we provided, but they did a fantastic job of, of reaching out to, um, in, I mean, in the past when I worked with them, they reached right out to our supplier for our egg inputs and so forth to get information more directly from them rather than having to be the go-between. Um, so really it was, it was just almost, you know, no effort on our part to actually go through that certification process. Uh, very simple and, and uh, very seamless. And I think as we look towards the future and implementing new practices, they're they're going to be our partner um, and giving us, um, you know, uh, information about workshops and anything that we can uh, participate in to gather more information. I mean, a lot of times when farmers implement new practices, they want to see what other farmers are doing um, who have been implementing it for a while, have experienced and really understand you know, what it took uh, to, to try something new and what the, the pitfalls were as well as, you know, the advantages and, and having those connections to other producers is something that I think the SWCD has been able to facilitate. Um, they know what's going on across the, across the region. And so helping build that confidence from farmer to farmer, I think is really important. Mark, did you want to fill in any um, behind the scenes work or background on your end? Sure. So part of the process was um, originally when, when Larry came in, he was 
had um, requested some assistance, uh, financial assistance for a feedlot and a manure storage system. So we, I guess, sort of opened the book up and, and offered, you know, for him to also apply for the water quality certification program and anything else that he was interested in at that time. So um, that was part of that process. Um, so at that time, you know, that's why there may have been a little bit of a delay. So he was implementing some other things, including nutrient management through EQIP along with the manure storage and feedlot project. Um, and then when that was complete, we got back together, kind of finalized some things. I showed, you know, the initial assessment results um, based on what I had for information from his um, ag supplier. Um, and then we talked about options. Originally there was, you know, it wasn't quite at eight and a half on everything for, for a score. We discussed um, maybe tweaking some uh, nutrient management, phosphorus management, and, and some offered some um, options for irrigation water management as well. So that's when went to the next level. They agreed to do some irrigation water management um, and then applied for some other assistance uh, through an application for the Regional Conservation Partnership Program um, that was just this, this spring. All right. So it sounds like a lot of different, um, we'll get to finances, I think soon, but it sounds like some different pots of money and different applications, uh, and programs that you can do while you're getting certified. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Yes. It's, it's kind of complicated, I guess, you know, we can't just say it's, um, one size fits all for Mm -hmm. the, from the financial assistance side of it, because we've got some local grants, we've got, you know, equip, environmental quality incentive program that's you know usda funds um we've got some funds from the department of ag so i guess what we try to do best is if we can um sort of pair some of that funding together or separate depending on where the the farm is located because we've got targeted funds as well um but that's that's our job you know at the at the soil and water district to to help and assist those farmers you know access those funds that's fantastic because it sounds like I mean Jen and Larry were aware of some of the funding, but to be able to have that assistance and find other avenues for um, funding and programs, that's that's such a benefit. I'm, I'm glad that happens. Yeah, I think actually it makes the leap um, to you know establishing different practices on your operation um, easier. Um, not only having a partner like SWCD to help you um, through the process, but also um, you know, the funding helps reduce some of the risk um, in terms of just getting uh, accustomed and uh, familiar with the different practices, giving you um, some ability to make some mistakes and um, hopefully, hopefully not experience failures, but, um, you know, reducing the risk in terms of, okay, you're learning something new, you're incorporating that into your operation. Um, It's not guaranteed to be a success in year one. You need to you need to gain some skills and um, and confidence, and I think the financial assistance provides um, uh, a way to to ease into it that way. So Mark was getting into it a little bit, but Larry and Jennifer, if you want to discuss some of the specific practices that you implemented as part of your certification, and maybe changes that you've noticed on your farm since doing that. 
Okay, maybe I'll start with that one. Um, I'll have Jen talk a little bit about kind of our, our current direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, and Mark alluded to, there there was a program we began first. Um, I think it was probably about maybe 2007 or so we had uh, started experimenting with Equip um, on a nutrient and pest management basis. Um, and that was a very, again, a very uh, simple process. Uh, there was financial assistance that came uh, with it at the time to help um, transition somewhat, especially with regards to our tillage. Um, we uh, undertook a reduced tillage program through that process and really have never looked back. We, we were still using a mobile board plow back in those days or, or uh, the years leading up to that. And that has not been hooked up to a tractor um, really in 14 years now. And I do credit our first positive experience with the Equip um, to that. Um, and so um, then we, of course, we did uh, some uh, nutrient or some uh, manure improvements and we had Equip and Mark and his staff right there with us through that. Um, and so uh, part of that, we did not have, for instance, manure pit on our farm. Um, in all the years of dairy, um, in the years of raising beef after that, never had uh, a manure pit, for instance, or a stacking slab. And Mark and his staff helped us get that established as well. So um, through the years, we've seen some pretty significant changes come about through these prior experiences. And um, in 2021, uh, we're on the cusp of some additional changes that I'm sure will be lasting as well. And those I'll let Jen talk a bit about in terms of what we're currently Sure. So what we're working on um, this year is really um, understanding how some of the irrigation management tools work. And really, it's a formula-based spreadsheet um, that allows you to not only track the the rainfall amounts that you're uh, receiving in your uh, specific fields, but also couple that um, with other uh, weather information and uh, come up with a plan when you need to actually apply um, water through your irrigator. So that's been um, something that we are um, experimenting with this year. Uh, We uh, officially begin that program uh, in the coming growing season. And then uh, through the RCPP that um, Mark had mentioned, we are adopting um, some cover crops uh, following our, our silage uh, harvest, which actually will be taking place here in the next week or so, uh, a little bit earlier than usual with um, our, our weather um, this summer and the, and the drought. Uh, but following that silage harvest, we will be putting um, cereal rye on those acres and then looking to follow that up in spring with a no-till planting um, regime. So uh, working with other uh, neighbors and farmers, um, we don't have uh, we don't have the equipment that we would need um, to do it ourselves. So um, like I said, this gives us a way to really um, experiment with new uh, cropping practices and and I think what we'll find at the end of you know the next two three years that this is probably something that we will stick with, and um, and doing so we can start to make some long term investments in our operation and start to equip ourselves um, for maintaining those practices over time. Um, the other thing that we're looking at there is a, an interesting pilot going on in our region uh, with the Ecosystem Services Market Consortium, and they've partnered with the. Um, soil and water uh, district, as well as I think uh, targeting egg water water quality certification um, producers to sign up over 50, I think it's 50,000 acres um, where 
this pilot would establish, um, you know, pre new practices, uh, what the baseline soil health and water quality attributes of a particular uh, field look like. And Mark can speak to this uh, much, much better than I can. But um, because we've not had any um, cover cropping or no-till um, on our, our acres, we, um, we are actually, I think, a prime candidate for that pilot. And that pilot will help establish not only from that baseline, but when you start to incorporate cover crops or no-till practices, what is the actual verifiable, quantifiable carbon that you're sequestering um, through those practices? And um, all with the intention of gearing up for a national carbon market in the coming years. And so having some integrity, um, behind the numbers um, in terms of what is actually um, happening in the soil and um, you know, using that information to um, provide credits to the market that, um, that the buyers have um, that can believe in and also help educate other producers um, along the way. And have you noticed, and Tracy, I mean, you mentioned the weather a bit this year. Um, have you, do, do you feel like these practices that you've uh, implemented so far have helped you during a drought season or have you noticed any, I mean, you're kind of fresh into it. So <laughs> I don't know if they spent enough time, but. I think maybe we wish that we had implemented them earlier. <laughs> mm, okay. <yeah. laughs> so, so possibly that will, would have been a benefit in terms of you know, if you're, if you're no-till, uh, if you're no-till planting, um, you know, I understand that that results in, in almost, a, like a mulch situation where you can, um, preserve some of the moisture in the soil. Um, so, I mean, perhaps we, we would be looking at some slightly different fields, um, had we no-tilled the spring. Um, but it's, it's hard to say, I, I, maybe Larry has some, um, observances that he can you know share but yeah i would say probably on a small scale i do think some of the decisions we made in the past have helped us this this year um it might be the worst drought year we've had in 30 years i think but um you know through our, our earlier equip experience we focused on residue management that there's there'd be more residue in the soil um throughout the season and um it's difficult when you've got livestock production and you need that residue for for bedding and so forth but um, I do think some of the, the uh, tillage practices we've changed over time um, have made a difference. And it just, it, I think it's all just led to a little bit of a mind shift that um, we switched to 22 inch rows sometime in order to provide more ground cover throughout the season, for instance. And so um, it just, uh, it, a collection of these small decisions, I think, have um, provided a crop for it this year. You know, as bad as it might be, there is a crop out there this year. Um, whereas in the last drought event, there simply wasn't. And I do credit part of that to some of these um, conservation practices, uh, you know, as small as they might be compared to other farmers, some of those small things we had done years ago, some of those changes did lead to us having not a complete failure of a year in 2021. Mark, from your standpoint, is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it's, it's a, a process to, to sort of convince or, you know, have farmers change something that's been a traditional practice. Um, tillage is one of them that's very tradition oriented, I think, you know, but um, we're gradually seeing more uh, no-till acres 
reduced till acres, more cover crops incorporated into those because um, they do fit together very nicely, the no-till and cover crops. Um, so we are, we are seeing some of that shift. Um, I guess as far as the Ecosystem Service Market Consortium or ESMC, we are uh, looking to sign up more acres like Jen say, we're, said, we're, we're looking for 50,000 acres. Um, and it has to be, like she said, a new practice. So that's for both um, carbon credits, water quantity, and water quality. So right now, this pilot that ESMC has um, started doesn't have a buyer. So the farm, you know, if you enroll acres, you're not committed to whatever they're gonna give you for dollars until there's a buyer established um, for the credits. And that won't be until probably 2022 at some point. Um, and then they, the farm still would not have to be committed to ESMC. They could go to a different market, um, Bayer, um, Land O'Lakes is True Carbon is another market, um, Indigo, has some so there's there's multiple options uh, to sell credits, especially carbon credits. So we're looking to sort of verify some of these things and um, kind of figure out how this process is going to work. Because uh, I've heard it termed it's kind of the wild west right now uh, for carbon credits and. ESMC, I think, has USDA behind it. It has, you know, local partners like the Soil and Water Conservation Districts, um, as well as the Nature Conservancy. Um, so ESMC, um, to start with, you know, we enroll a farm. And like I said, it has to be what's called termed additionality as far as a practice has to start um, new. It can't, you can't be doing no-till and cover crops for five years. That's not an eligible practice. So the LARs are actually positioned really well, like Jen mentioned, to take advantage of ESMC, the carbon market especially, um, because they are looking at adopting cover crops and no-till possibly. So as, as they get comfortable with that, um, I think they're positioned real well. Um, so year one, we do soil sampling on the fields and it's not a traditional um, nutrient management or nutrient soil sample core that's taken. It's a two inch core by like one foot. Um, and it'd be similar to like a grid soil sample. And it's sampled for soil organic carbon, bulk density, pH and phosphorus. And then the management on the field is put into a portal or into a platform. And then modeling is used to determine what the carbon credits or water quality credits would be based on what the baseline would, would have been or benchmark practice, you know, previous to the adoption of a practice. And then again, in five years, um, the plan is, is to come back and soil sample again to sort of true up what those actual changes were in the, in the soil as far as um, whether it was phosphorus or carbon. So this is um, potentially like an ongoing payment 
for the ecosystem services that the farmer is providing? Yes, it would be a yearly payment, um, initially based on models, um, because it it takes a while, especially for carbon to sequester in the soil after you've you know eliminated tillage or adopted cover crops. That's, that carbon will build in the soil, but it, it doesn't happen in a year. So that's why the five-year true up, um, as well as the best, you know, science can do right now is to sort of base it on modeling and experiments from smaller scales mm-hmm. um, to give the credit. Okay, I see. And this is available to people in Stearns County, or is this a statewide program? So the pilot is um, the Sauk River watershed plus a 30 miles outside of it. Um, okay. It was originally going to be only the Sauk, but it was expanded because of this additionality requirement and the fact that it's probably going to take more acres um, to get the 50,000 goal that we're after. Okay. So this is one of the you know variety of opportunities that the SWCD will have um, you know, in their in their minds as available funding to help sign, sign farmers up for when they apply for the certification program. Yes, as as well as any other assistance, whether it's technical assistance, if they come into the office and want technical assistance or financial assistance for, I would say, soil health kinds of practices, um, we will have a discussion to see if they're interested in the ESMC pilot. Because it makes sense because they're looking to adopt something new, you know, and it fits in real well. Um, so it's one of those things that we can kind of stack um, to, to get the farmer maybe some more financial assistance. That's really exciting because the, I mean, the program itself feels like an opportunity. But then, yeah, like underneath that, there's an assortment of other methods of support that you guys are consolidating. So that's, yeah, that's really helpful. Yep. And I mean, I asked this of uh, Jennifer and Larry a bit, but I'm wondering, since you've worked with a variety of farmers, um, after that initial help with funding, are they seeing a pretty good return on their investment financially with any of the practices that they're able to implement? Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, the farm business management um, throughout the state, through the um, different community colleges and and whatnot, they... um, are tracking that and they can sort that, the water quality certified farms. Um, and they are showing a good return on investment for, for conservation practice adoption. And we've been involved in a, a small project where we're looking specifically at the return on investment. Um, we got three farms initially through the uh, Headwaters Ag Sustainability Partnership that we have going. Um, and we're looking to expand that to 10 farms so that we can get to your question and be able to confidently tell farmers as we discuss these things that yes, long-term, there is a return on investment for adopting these kinds of practices. That's great. I mean, I hear anecdotally some farms are able to share that, but yeah, having a, um, a broader data set, I think is, is so beneficial. Uh, Jenna and Larry, did you have any other additional comments on like finances or funding sources? Well, I, I guess I've seen um, I've seen some interesting um, data that's still very early, and this is not necessarily related to the the water quality certification program, but just in terms of you know no-till and cover crops, 
Um, the data is basically following various size farms through their, um, their kind of journey through these different practices and they're tracking, um, but basically, you know, profit and loss. And it's been interesting to see, you know, where there are some potential savings with, you know, cover cropping and no-till, whether it's, you know, reduced inputs or um, less fuel on the farm. Uh, but understanding also that some of those longer term, uh, like the productivity and fertility of the soil is, is not necessarily um, in years one, two, three, four those are, you know, later on um, and coming coming yet for you know some of the, the the farms that they've been watching, and so I think it'd be interesting to see, you know, just in this micro region that we're in, um, starting to understand some of the the costs and benefits for these different practices um, as it relates to you know the the annual expenses for the operation as well as you know are they seeing increased um, yield um, per acre. Or potentially even, you know, some other benefits in terms of just quality, quality of product. So Larry and Jen, what uh, words of wisdom or advice would you have for farmers who are, are considering applying for the certification program? Any tips and tricks? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if there's any tricks, but I, I think you need to um, establish a relationship if you don't have one already with your, your local um, soil and water um, staff and um, and help them understand your operation as well as what your goals might be um, for your farm. And uh, I think uh, I think you'll find them to be very, very supportive and great resources, probably beyond uh, what you were anticipating in, in going in with the request that they have um, access to a lot of information and, and great contacts. Um, no matter what the question is, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be limited to the egg water quality certification. It can certainly be a multitude of other programs. So I think I would, I would emphasize just building that rapport um, with your, your local office. You know, I, I feel I'm very fortunate that um, I've been able to travel a good part of the country throughout my life. And I do see a lot of, especially in the corn belly, see a lot of room for improvement when it comes to our egg practices and, um, our farm is definitely in that same category where uh, we've always had very a conventional approach to producing our crops. Um, a lot of room for improvement probably. And I, I just think of it kind of maybe to use an old analogy, you think about, um, you know, our solar water conservation district, for instance, that, you know, they've got people that are in their choir in that church at all times. And we have people that we know in our area that are early adopters of new practices or um, practices that are primarily environmentally based. And then there's all the rest of us who are just the congregation, the sinners in the congregation. And um, I, I guess that's the thing. If you get uh, the, those of us in the congregation start adopting these practices and have positive things to say about it, um, hopefully it's not too long before the others in the congregation start sharing that message as well. So um, there's a lot of room for improvement and, and uh, each small success begets the next, the next attempt. So uh, I think even, you know, Amongst my friends, I don't think they really understand how difficult financially it can be to farm. And so if we were to ever to experience a failure, you know, on half our acres or even, you know, 50 acres, it can take a long time to recover from those sort of things. So um, to, to head down that path and to know you've got a little bit of a safety blanket through some of these programs 
And then the technical assistance you get from the staff uh, like Mark, um, it, it basically uh, makes those decisions very doable for even a small operation like ours. Mark, there's a one piece of the program that I don't think we've talked about quite yet. Um, could you tell us a bit about the endorsements? Seems like it's a relatively new uh, piece of the certification program. Sure. So along with being water quality certified, that's that's the first requirement before you can get an endorsement. Um, the Department of Ag has developed uh, various different endorsements. One is for wildlife. One is pest management. Uh, one is uh, like a carbon credit endorsement. Um, so that's sort of icing on the cake on top of the certification. Um, there's a, an assessment that you have to meet, like for the wildlife one, you have to have enough um, acres that would be either dedicated to habitat, whether it's in CRP or woodland, uh, pollinator habitat. So there's, there's certain requirements um, that need to be made um, as well as, you know, the other endorsements. Um, so, so the carbon one, um, you know, depends on what your tillage is, if you have perennials in the rotation. So it's like a separate um, assessment on top of water quality assessment. Excellent. Well, great. Does anyone have any um, additional thoughts or resources that they would like to share before we wrap up here? I just thought to point out that uh, it, as silly as it might seem, um, I do credit the, especially our local offices, but um, the credit the fact that there is actually the recognition portion of this whole program. And it's interesting because um, my brother and I, or my siblings and I, we never, um, we always kind of want to be left alone in our operation. The last per thing a person, a farmer wants is attention drawn to them because it's usually not for positive reasons, but um, in 2021, it just doesn't work that way. It's, it's uh, there's all sorts of reasons to farmers to um, be looked at critically and to have some positive recognition does certainly count for something these days, even for a, a group that tends to uh, want to just be left alone. Um, it, it does mean something for sure. And, and it's interesting, we had a, an experimental crop we work with on our farm in 2020, and it was just amazing the amount of attention it got, uh, literally even down to the metro area we found out. And so people do pay attention to what you do as farmers and it's good. I, I, I'll be honest there. We got the water quality sort of sign at the end of our driveway. Um, that does make me proud to drive by that. That recognition portion is important to us internally, just from an altruistic standpoint. But it is these days where, where you're under such scrutiny. You know, if you, if you leave any sort of manure on the road or anything of that sort, uh, you certainly get um, that attention. And it's good to have uh, recognition of the positive things that we try to do as producers as well. Absolutely. I just heard uh, my coworker and yeah, co-host Jared this weekend talking about how some people leave and take that sign to their farmer's market if they go to farmer's markets. And that's like a great way to invite conversation and connection with uh, potential mm -hmm. customers about it. So that's awesome. Yeah. 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 And Mark, if, if people are ready to um, get plugged in and apply for the program as their first step to reach out to the their local soil water conservation district office. Yes, that's what I would suggest. If you're interested in water quality certification, reach out to the your county SWCD office and they can put you in touch with if there's an area certification specialist or if they have somebody in-house um, that would actually do work with you for the, um, the assessment process. 
Larry and Jen, if, if people have questions about, you know, your experience or about your farm, uh, where can they reach out to you? Uh, I guess probably by phone or email, I suppose. Um, my phone number is 320-761-3925. And uh, email, a little unorthodox, but it's the new country cat at yahoo.com. Excellent. Mark, did you want to give yours as well? Our office number is uh, 320-251-7800, extension 3. And my email is mark.lefebvre at nacdnet.net. So I, I just want to thank Larry and Jen for agreeing to do it as well. Um, that that is a can be a challenge uh, for me when I get asked to connect with some landowners or farmers, um, but but having willing uh, people like Jen and, and Larry is is great. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks, thanks Mark. Yeah, I, and it wasn't just lip service. It's been fantastic for everything with you and Tessa and everyone. It's just I, I tell my farmer friends all the time. I I know people like to complain about the government as it relates to their feedlots and so forth. And I know those bad experiences are probably out there somewhat, but as much as I can tell, I tell people it's been nothing but positive experiences for us on this farm. So let's hope that goes on for many years to come. It's been fantastic. I appreciate that, Larry. Thanks. Yep. Is that all off record or can I include that? Because that was very kind. Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. We believe that agriculture done well heals. For more resources or to tap into the Farmer to Farmer Network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.